plastic has many great uses and I think that's that's the reality in some cases it is the best material could we work without a huge amount of single-use plastic absolutely hi there nice to meet you what's your carbon footprint said no one ever we are going to be talking about how to find out your carbon footprint, your business's carbon footprint today, though, on the Age of Plastic podcast. Welcome. I'm Andrea Fox. This is an environmental podcast using plastic as a gateway drug into loads of environmental issues. And today we are going to be chatting to the co-founders of Geeky, husband and wife duo James and Joe Hand. We're going to be talking about why COP27 is the pull-your-finger-out conference, pets, carbon footprints, but maybe not goldfish, and whether they think we can live without plastic and cut our emissions in time to still have a livable planet. Yeah, we're going light and dark on today's episode. Here are the co-founders of Geeky, James and Joe Hand on the Age of Plastic podcast. Welcome along to the Age of Plastic podcast. Explain to me and to everyone who maybe hasn't heard of Geeky in the past exactly what you do. Well, firstly, thank you very much for having us. It's great to be here. So Geeky is all about helping individuals take action on climate change in their own lifestyles. Um, that is it in a nutshell. Um, we set up in 2017 because we were firstly deeply concerned about the climate crisis and secondly, very struck by the fact that more and more people want to take action, want to know what they can do, are concerned, but don't know where to start, don't know what makes sense to do, what doesn't, are overwhelmed by the kind of plethora of information and sometimes conflicting information. So we thought if we can make it easier for people to understand and work out what's going to be right for their own individual situation, then we can help people on this challenging issue. Yeah, amazing. And James, you came from a a, a completely different background from sustainability, didn't you, to set up Geeky? Can you explain a bit about that? Yes. Yeah, I actually worked in in finance for 20 years before Geeky. <laughs> and so, like like many other people, sort of a, a sort of bit of a finance escapee. Um, but a lot of that was in an area called ESG, so environmental, social, and governance, where just gradually learning more and more about climate change until it got to the point where I thought, well, if I'm really going to have an impact, really do something with purpose, then I want to focus on on geeky, not on finance anymore. So mm. I left in 2017 to much sort of surprised by people. Many people called it uh, brave. I just thought, well, it's uh, it's the only thing I want to do for the next 20 years. It didn't feel brave uh, at all. Yeah. And if you don't mind sharing this story, you have found it quite easy to hire people to Geeky who maybe could be going to, I'm just going to throw an idea out there, crypto firms. Um, so do you find that what your brave step, as you call it, people are following following that suit? It's been one of the really inspiring things since we started that when we do go out to find people, the people that we find are often coming from other industries um, and exactly that. They're, they're going, I've reached a point where I need to do something. And so they're looking for a job in sustainability, but often with quite different skills to the typical sustainability like set that people have. So you know, more developers, more client success people, more people focused on growth. And, and marketing and, and so that's yeah it's been wonderful for us to, to be able to pick up really experienced great people but who will share that really deep belief that we will have at Geeky that we really want to be having an impact um, every day. Yeah and Joe would you say that you are experts in the carbon footprint of everything as I've heard you described? <laughs> well I think naming yourself an expert can sometimes you know set you up for, for, for a fall but I would say 
we spend a lot of our time thinking about carbon footprints, put it that way. Before I set up uh, Geeky with James, I actually worked for the Carbon Disclosure Project, which which is all about footprints actually for companies. Um, so I had spent a lot of time thinking about footprints, but from a very different angle before we set up Geeky. And what's fascinating about looking at individual carbon footprints is suddenly you start seeing the world through a very different lens and everything that we do now is like you that that filters on on to everything because of course the vast majority of decisions that we make in our lives do have some environmental impact so as a result um i think i can safely say that um there are some areas that i would still love to know what the carbon footprint is of for example, our pet, pet goldfish, not that we've got one, but we haven't yet footprinted pet goldfish. But um, That is so funny. Done, people ask me to do pets on the... Yeah, people <laughs> ask me to do pets on the podcast a lot and I don't have pets and I find it quite hard. So maybe this is, yeah, this is the next area. No one wants to be told like having dogs is bad. It's a bit like having kids is bad and traveling is bad. It's yeah. one of those things where we, we get it, but okay, how do we curb our carbon footprint when we when we do those things like have families travel have pets that we love dearly (laughs) i think and that's spot on because um it is all about being more informed actually and then you can make more informed decisions and for some people some lifestyle changes are really easy but those same changes might be really really difficult for somebody else and it's just about having an understanding so for example with dogs our our dog who looks extremely healthy is uh, fed on insect pellets um, and she seems to thrive on them and that is a much 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 lower footprint um, than than feeding her on meat um, about 90% less and so there are changes like that that you can make that um, you know will have um, you know don't actually affect the experience you might have in that case there's a there is a cost difference but on many many um more sustainable decisions that we can make in our own lifestyles is actually cost savings and i think that in the current 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 climate is really really important yeah we're definitely going to get onto that in a little moment but i just wanted to touch on something people who may be aware of geeky um you've been around since 2017 and you started off with this barcode um app which was very useful in shops let's just clear up you've you've handed that over now <laughs> you you're yeah, done with the barcodes <laughs> yeah we, so we started with with geeky badges and with that you could scan anyone of nearly 300,000 products in the UK supermarket wow. and it would tell you whether it was sustainable and healthy and, and ethically sourced. It was basically a big number crunching uh, engine uh, and we got over 50,000 downloads and it was really fun. Um, but what we found from it was that the most common reaction we get from people was, oh, you're the people from Geeky Badges. I love that. You're brilliant. When did you last use it? Oh, about a year ago. Uh, and so it was really good for people to come in, to learn, to get information, but it wasn't driving uh, behavior change at scale and that's always been our mission and then on, on the other side of it um, as Joe said I always hesitate to say experts I would say we obsess though about carbon footprints and we did that we started doing that in 2011 when we first measured measured our own and it was like well we can see from geeky badges the power of technology and the power of community but to have more impact we need to do something that covers all of people's lifestyle not mm-hmm. not just in supermarket products but more focused on carbon but over a much wider range and so yeah we found a a great sort of partner firm to take that on they're still doing it now um and that allowed us just to focus entirely on on carbon footprints with geeky zero 
Yeah, and that is impact score shopping if anyone um, is missing geeky badges at all. Um, I love that as well. I don't tend to call myself an expert. Um, and in fact, oh, this is such a name drop. I was inviting on, uh, invited on telly to talk about the podcast and they always sort of have, they want you to be an expert. And I was like, well, you know what? After 100 episodes, again, I do obsess and I do know quite a bit. But I'll tell you what I don't know. Uh, until this morning and until I went back on Geeky Earth, um, my carbon footprint. Now, carbon footprints as an individual, they, I mean, carbon footprints as a business can be kind of hard to visualise because we talk in tonnes and things like this, don't we? So how are Geeky sort of helping the individual, let's start with, um, to engage with this concept of the carbon footprint? I think there are, there are two ways we do it. The first one is to help them measure it uh, by asking them simple questions that really kind of resonate. So, and then showing them the answers to that. So what is the size of your house? Do you have gas? And that kind of allows them to kind of see the picture um, build up uh, over time. However, the other thing we did, and this has kind of happened after we started Geeky Zero, is we also convert that into a score where the idea is the score goes higher and the score is a measure of not just your carbon footprint, but also keeps track of everything you're doing to improve it. And that then gives you like a full picture because it's, you know, as you say, kilos, tons, all this sort of thing. It doesn't, especially because we're talking about a, a gas, it becomes very sort of difficult to, to understand. Whereas this is more, here's your score, get it up, measure it, and then, then do more stuff. And we found that resonates a lot more with people than just like, here's your carbon footprint. Um, there's a number, right? Off, off you go. You go. <laughs> off you go and see what you can do with it. And Joe, when it comes to businesses, is it a different sort of way that you would go about the process of working out the business's carbon footprint? Yeah, that's a really interesting point because actually what we've managed to do with individual footprints is align the methodology to the way that companies would measure their footprint because this is really well established and well highly respected um, way of measuring your business carbon footprint, which is called the GHG protocol. And that lays out basically the rules and the guidelines on how you should measure your, your carbon footprint, because you say it, it's it's a really challenging area, particularly if you've never done it before. Um, so we use that same uh, GHG protocol to create our methodology for measuring um, individual carbon footprints so that Firstly, it's um, using the most robust and respected methodology that's out there. And secondly, it resonates with people because more and more businesses, you know, the vast majority of certainly big businesses now will um, have tackled in some shape of shape or form measuring their, their company carbon footprints. And, you know, more and more small companies are, are starting to do that, although it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's at a much earlier stage there. Um, and so as it becomes more established as a principle within a business, then it's easier to translate that into your own lifestyle because it's you know not totally uncharted territory. Yeah, and there's so many different things for businesses as well. We hear the words like scope one, scope two, scope three. Are you able to sort of, for any businesses who are starting down this journey that are listening right now, can you explain a little bit about those? Yeah, well, the scopes one, two, and three that do come from the GHG protocol, um, I always think of them um, in uh, there are um, very simple and very complex ways to describe them. But I always think of them as scope one is fossil fuels burnt. Um, scope two is electricity that you buy. And scope three is basically everything else. So, you know, if you're a uh, 
factory, for example, and you're making something out of some form of fuel. So you're making widgets and you have to burn fuel to make the widgets. So the burning of the fuel, that would be scope one. Then the electricity that you use to light your offices and your factory, etc., that would be scope two. And then your staff travel and your suppliers and um, uh, your procurement of, you know, all the sort of parts that go into the into the um into the manufacturing process that would all be scope three and you know scope three really is a catch-all for everything else and it's the, by far the most challenging area to measure um and also often the biggest area as well yes this is what we hear quite a lot and sticking with businesses at the moment in the years that you've been running geekies 2017 obviously you started have you seen a difference in the way that businesses are or aren't willing to engage with the climate crisis yeah, I would say definitely. So when I started working in sustainability in 2006, um, when I worked at the Carbon Disclosure Project, it was really very much um, only companies who were really um, in the vanguard who were um, thinking about, um, certainly about climate change um, and certainly about measuring their carbon footprints. And when we started Geeky in 2017, Things had changed quite a lot in those 12 years or so. Um, but I would say between 2017 and, and now 2022, there's been a massive shift in terms of how businesses now, the, the majority of bigger businesses are aware that sustainability will be uh, top of the agenda, either, um, you know, in, 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 well, it depends which industry you're in. If you're in certain sectors, it's already pretty high on the agenda. But, you know, in the next five to 10 years, it will be that, you know, one of the, the most important factors in, in business decision making. Um, and I think within the individual as well, it's, you know, you can't you can't ignore it. We're living it. It's the very, very, very beginnings of climate change for living. And um, and wherever you are in the world, you um, people are feeling it. And in some cases in really devastating ways like in Pakistan at the moment where a third of the country is covered in water I mean it's just you know if you'd said that to people five years ago even they would have just you know would not have believed it could even happen this quickly but so I think that that's a big big driver um but it's so there's definitely a massive increase in awareness um that still needs to translate into the action that we need to solve the problem because um i read this great stat uh and they often hear that people will say um why should i worry about recycling turning the thermostat down one degree when a handful of companies create most of the carbon emissions and i had a really good guest on um who sort of said well yeah but that sort of lets people off the hook and i think a lot of people might think well why should my small business for example um even engage with this I'm just a small business but globally SMEs so small and medium-sized businesses enterprises I think it stands for uh, make up 90% of businesses globally and employ half of the world's workforce so that is collectively a huge group that you're you're targeting with with all of the stuff that you do at Geeky right yeah, and it, yeah it, I think that's right because the majority of people who um the, the the majority of people who are employed um can you know are going to be working for a company that um 
in some shape or form is going to have to or is already thinking about sustainability. So um, whatever the size of the company as well, you're going to be affected, particularly again with, with, the, with the current um, fuel um, price rocketing that is affecting every business. And actually, the more you can reduce your energy usage and become more energy efficient, there are cost savings and carbon savings. And, and this has been like an age old debate in sustainability where it's like, get the policymakers to sort it out. No, get the individuals to change. No, get the companies to sort it out. And we've just gone around in a cycle like that for, we're on, you know, how 30, 30 years now. And the reality is now having to halve emissions this decade while they're still going up is it's now everybody needs to do everything they can as quickly as possible. That is the only way we get anywhere near halving emissions and keeping a 1.5 degree line. And, and then there's also that part of these companies that are, are generating all these emissions. Well, who are they creating this stuff for? Well, it's us. So we can look at these big fossil fuel companies with massive scope one and two and just colossal gargantuan gigaton scope three emissions and say, well, it's their fault. But who's driving the cars and so we've we've all sort of got to get it but kind of past that point of it's this it's that and just go we've just got to do a lot quickly yeah and i suppose we touched on it a little bit but obviously these climate change issues are closer to home but also around the globe we we're speaking as pakistan as you said is just absolutely devastating floods across the country that's clearly focused minds hasn't it individuals and businesses wouldn't you say yeah, it definitely has. Definitely, because I think um, it's it's so front and center, and particularly in 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 the way that our lives function now, as you know, in in modern society, um, where we have so many different um, pressures on life, um, and so little time to focus on any specific area, because the nature of the modern world is that we do thousand things at the same time that actually only when you're really it's right in front of you which obviously it is when it's 40 degree heat in the UK and we're really not used to that and we're, we're not built for that either we haven't got the infrastructure to support that um that's when you you it forces all your other priorities to the back of the queue in a way and because you you, you can't ignore it anymore and I think because of the complexity of life now often things need to be that's obvious for us to really have the bandwidth, the mental bandwidth to really engage with them. And I think that's what the current current crises have done this, this, this year. But we also actually saw last year in the summer, there were devastating floods across much of Europe and China and, you know, many different parts of the world. And at the time, it really did drive a kind of awakening and, and increased concern about climate. But because we're so incredibly... Um, adaptable as humans as we saw with, with the covid crisis that actually when things calm down we kind of get back to get back to normal again and i think that's one of um you know one of a human trait that has pros and cons to it and it's difficult for people because that that raising awareness then often conflicts with their the lifestyle that they want to lead um like Generally, carbon footprints are much bigger in, in wealthier countries, much bigger. And within wealthy countries, they're much bigger for the people that have the highest income. So at some point, that that kind of crunch of right, how how worried am I that I'm actually going to take uh, take real action? 
there's a limited amount of time where you can kind of fly to Portugal and complain about the wildfires there without sort of having a bit of a sort of cognitive dissonance and thinking, well, what, what am I going to do? And that's obviously one of the things we want to we want to help people with. But that is one that's the really kind of pointy bit of behavior change is that it involves change. And most of us walk around with a big sort of inertia anchor behind us because we don't want to. It's difficult. Yeah, it is difficult, but I feel like we're, it's it's change or be forced to change without being too overly dramatic. A short interlude in the podcast now to remind you that we can't all do this alone. If we want to divest from fossil fuels like plastic, we need everyone and all companies on board. So if you want to find out what the companies you use are up to when it comes to sustainability, but you don't know where to start, there's a handy form that you can download and use to email to any company. You'll find it on my website. I am Andrea Fox. Back to today's episode. Talking of societal change, COP27, we're having another one. I feel like they come round, <laughs> come round so quickly these days. It's going to be held in Egypt. So what's Geeky's plans around COP27? So we will, we always, oh well, last year we produced a report on COP26 and how it was relevant to individuals because these big UN climate conferences, which are where um, you know, the, the most um, influential people in the world meet in, in the form of policymakers, but also a lot of business leaders meet there as well to um, try to come up with solutions to climate change can feel really distant for us as individuals. So we um, uh, wrote a, a document last year, which was really about making COP26 accessible for, for, for all of us and how we can get involved in what, what it's trying to achieve, um, which we'll do again this year. We're just uh, just working on that at the moment. Um, and it's always really fascinating because each COP has a different um, group of priorities and a different approach because it's hosted by different nations with different drivers. So it being hosted in Africa, in, in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt, will mean that the dynamics are slightly different than when it was hosted in Glasgow and the drivers are different and it's I think it's really exciting that it's being hosted in a in a continent where the effects of climate change are already being felt in in you know really devastating ways and and where emissions are generally very low in in relative um, comparison to the rest of the world so there will be a slightly different perspective from that point of view, um, and then in, and, and then we'll be running lots of sessions um, for for the companies that we work with and the organisations and, and and people that we work with, really trying to understand um, why it's so important and why it matters and making it relevant and meaningful and accessible because I think that's that's what often is really difficult for people that you hear about it on the news and it can feel so distant. Um, and so removed and there's often a lot of frustration that after these meetings it can feel a bit like everything goes back to how it was before um helping people understand what's going on behind the behind the curtains as it were can be i think people find that really fascinating yeah definitely james you've got a name for cop 27 haven't you now the pull your finger out conference well <laughs> they've got a much nicer tagline which is uh, together together for implementation um but it, it is um, it is the pull that's basically what it means together it, for it, implementing 
do the stuff <laughs> pull your finger out it's going to be a really interesting one for that and it's a shame that it's taken 27 to to sort of to get here but glasgow <laughs> yeah. was great for saying like here's here's the final pit of everything we need to really crack on and now we've got to to implement on it but there are going to be some really challenging conversations to be had there about who who's spearheading the implementation and as you know joe highlighted that i think it's germany's cumulative emissions are bigger than africa's and that raises some really wow. difficult questions about things like well what the un called loss and damage or compensation for the um the effects of climate change today the amount of finance flows where there's a, this number of 100 billion which sounds huge but it's actually tiny in the context of the amount that we need to spend so it's it's going to be a conference focused on implementation but I'm, i suspect it's probably also going to be a conference where we have a lot of the same challenging debates uh, coming around um and as joe said it's really important people don't feel like uh that it's remote it is really important to all of us and there's yeah there's lots we can do to support it either kind of vocally to the people that are going or or in our in the things that we all do every day yeah completely and something that comes up a lot around cops but throughout the year is that people say that being more environmentally friendly is more expensive i suppose one big way that Geeky is showing people that that's not necessarily always the case is with energy bills at the moment. Um, saving energy will save you a lot of money as we head into the winter. So I wondered if you had any sort of like advice around that. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got about 150 steps that people can take on Geeky Zero and like a good half of them are ones that can save money. And so it's you're absolutely right. There's there's things that people can do in, in the home and 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 sort of burning fossil fuels at the moment are, are some of the key ones. So around the home, there's things that are small but like make a marginal difference. And at that the moment that really counts, like turning off lights, like only boiling the water that you need in the kettle, like putting lids on your saucepans. So little kind of micro habits that you can get into. And then there are the bigger ones like um, closing your curtains and your doors. Um, to keep the heat in certain parts of the house, turning the thermostat down by a degree if if you are active and can get around and put on sort of extra clothing. There's, so we've got a whole kind of list of those that can help with people's yeah, home home sort of uh, electricity and gas bills as the, as the cost of living crisis bites um, sort of harder and harder and harder. But it's, it's actually beyond that. There are things that you can do when you drive your car to, um, to save fuel. And then there are things around obviously your diet and shifting a diet to a more plant-based diet can also save uh, money too. So there is, there's definitely, there's this really unfortunate sense in a way that being sustainable involves paying more money. And I think a lot of that comes from the the bits where you do need to invest. If you're going to buy an electric car, it does cost more than the conventional car. If you're going to put in a heat pump, it currently costs more than the gas boiler and it shouldn't and it can't. And we've, we've got to change that. But those are sort of the big investments for the long term. We all do need to get there. But right now, right in the eye of the sort of the cost of living crisis storm, there's actually lots people can do to um, to save money. And as a sort of almost a secondary be- benefit at the moment, because that is so pressing for people, it will really help cut their carbon footprint. Yeah. And I suppose you've spoken to not only individuals, but also so many um, businesses as well. When it comes to tips obviously go and check out geeky it's geeky.earth isn't it um you can uh, i wondered if there was anything that you could share those things that people always seem really surprised are going to be sustainable or save them money or good for the planet or one that's like kind of easy that's always your go-to whenever you're i don't know at a dinner party and someone asks you what they should be doing to be more sustainable 
It does depend on who the dinner party is with. (laughs) (laughs) But my favourite step of all is the change to renewable electricity because uh, it's a um, really big impact step in terms of carbon saving. um, And it applies to both individuals and to businesses. And, um, you know, you, you need to look at the sort of different costs, which are obviously, you know, completely unprecedented at the moment but before the cost of living crisis um renewable electricity tariffs were getting to be on a par with standard tariffs so it it really that that definitely is my favorite one um for people who've been thinking about this stuff for a really long time then probably often the final piece of the puzzle for people to look at is things like their pension and their bank accounts you know who they're actually saving with or you know you know you're just a regular bank account because some some um saving options are much more fossil fuel intensive in terms of the way that they uh use the money that people deposit with them than others so that that that's a much you know that that's for when you've been thinking about this kind of thing for a long time but one of our favorite steps on geeky is only boil the water you need in the kettle and it's just so it, when you say it, it's like, well, yeah, of course. Why would you boil a full kettle when you're only making one cup of tea? It takes longer and it uses more power. But we're just, you know, often we, that's just kind of the way that we've always done it. And then you try it with a smaller amount and it's like, yeah, this is great. It's really efficient. I, I don't know. I, don't, I finally get invited to a few dinner parties now. It might be since I went fully plant based. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that one that is does surprise people that most people have an awareness that cutting back on meat especially red meat will lead to a reduction in the carbon footprint most people are surprised by how much and most people are also often disappointed to hear that cheese has a similar carbon footprint to things like kind of chicken and fish um uh so i tend not to drop that in at the at the sort of at the actual the dinner party exactly yeah um but that's another one the one that doesn't surprise people but it's very hard for a lot of people is the flying so i I mean the number of conversations that we have that start with i i just that that's the bit that really gonna get some i don't know what to do about this and they're not ready for it and our message to them like in all of the areas is just focus now on the many things that you can do because there are loads and you'll get round to it at some point but don't worry about it now. Look, look elsewhere. Don't let the don't let the fact you can't stop all the things that you can, um, and that tends to get people much more kind of uh, invigorated than some sort of lecture on on flying or red meat or anything like that. Banning doesn't work. Um, showing people inspirational stories um, definitely does. Yeah, I love that. That's such a lovely message. We are, of course, um, an environmental podcast using the gateway issue of plastic. Do you think we could live without it? Not for a very long time, no, because, um, and it sounds like slightly counterintuitive for somebody who works in, at an environmental B Corp to say, you know, plastic has many great uses, but it does. Um, and I think that's that's the reality. In some cases, it is the best material. Could we work without a huge amount of single-use plastic? Absolutely. Um, and there's a very slow pace of change on that um, since the plastic pact has been a real, in the UK, has been a real disappointment. So no, not for a long, long time overall, but that doesn't mean there aren't huge kind of amounts of plastic we can cut out. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Joe? I do. And I think, I, I think plastic has, there are different types of plastic in that, you know, there are some, so many. Some, 
some things that have a, a use for many, many, many years and are the best material for the job. Um, but single-use plastic is a, a totally different ball game in that it, you know, anything that's single-use in in the current kind of resource-constrained environment that we find ourselves in has serious limitations in plastic in particular because it takes 400 years to decompose and causes a lot of damage along the way. So I think it's, yeah, then I wouldn't tar them all with the same brush, but um, I think probably what I would say is that plastic has enabled the growth of stuff, too much stuff. You know, you talk to so many parents about, goodness, I can't cope with more plastic stuff coming into my house. I just can't handle it. And it's a very easy material to make a lot of stuff out of that we often don't need and has, you know, limited, limited um, uh, uh, um, long-term benefits to human, um, human happiness and contentment. Completely agree with that. Who, who, everyone feels that they've got too much stuff, don't they? Um, I sort of on the same vein. Then, um, you know so much about carbon footprints, cutting our carbon footprint and our emissions. Do you think we're going to do it in time? I think we're really going to struggle to half emissions this decade on the current rate of change. I think we've literally got sort of twelve, eighteen months to turn things around, um, and I really hope we can. And what, I, what keeps my hope alive is the fact that actually we don't need to do anything different. Every sector has a way to get to half emissions by 2030. And that's an incredible thing. So um, are we going to do it? I, my, it's definitely hope over uh, pragmatism. And usually I go with the data, but in this case, I'm going to stick with the hope. So um, yeah, we've just got to really find ways to, to galvanize change in the very short term. But um, yeah, I think I hope I hope we can. And we and also there's a there's a sort of part of any good challenge, which is there isn't really an alternative. We've got to. And that, that helps, too. It's like I have hope we can. We've got the methods to do it and we've got to. So it's got to yeah, just crack on. Exactly. Do it or be forced to. What do you think, Joe? I think it's about prioritisation and our political and business leaders need to prioritise this issue much more highly than they currently do. Um, you know, I'm not, obviously there are some exceptions. There are some fantastic um, political leaders who have really, you know, blazed a trail on this and likewise business leaders, but in the whole, where the fact that emissions are still going up and we need to halve this decade is evidence that we're not doing enough. But also we as individuals, frankly, in the absence of policy delivering what it what people hoped 10 20 years ago it would deliver and in the absence of the business transformation across the board some sectors have done a good job others others have got much more to do um we as individuals it's almost as if to, to that point james was making earlier that we've gone in this circle of policy makers will fix it businesses will we as individuals have to it, it's it's got to be um all of us will we do it Depends which day you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think to the I, I we often have this conversation, you know, with colleagues, and my view is that um, life is just so much better if you live it with hope and belief in in what you're working towards, and and um, that's just always been the way that I've lived my life, which you know, it, I think probably makes me fortunate to. to be able to feel that I can do that um will we get there 
we'll have to see. Fingers crossed. Mm. <laughs> um, the final two questions then both. Um, as we touched on, single-use plastic is a scourge, but there are loads of items that include plastic where it's the best use of it, um, where we're going to use it for years and years and years. What is your favourite plastic item each? Mine is definitely my Tupperware boxes. Like the amount of abuse you can put those under, stick in the microwave, in the freezer, kids' lunch boxes, eight years later, still going strong. Uh, uh, they are they are sort of absolutely absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I've not found an uh, aluminium one that's quite the same as this the real seal lock on the Tupperware. I have yeah. to say. <laughs> Joe, what about you? Um, mine's my Tangle Teaser hairbrush, which is by far the best hairbrush I've ever had. I've had it probably for the same one, I'd say for, I reckon, probably 10 plus years. And it's still functioning very well. And yeah, it's perfect for the job. So I think it's, and having tried many different hairbrushes before, I can say that plastic is the right material for this one. Yes, and Joe has lovely curly hair, which I can uh, imagine maybe uh, sometimes needs a little bit more, a little bit more care and attention. Um, finally, just finishing up, then your environmental hero, someone that you look up to in this space, and obviously you've both worked in this area for quite a long time. So I'm sort of asking, I guess, like what got you interested in in the environment? Um, well, for me, my hero is definitely Sir David Attenborough because he educated the world on the beauty and the wonders of nature and more recently on, on how humans are, are trashing nature and the world we live in. Um, but in terms of why I got into the, the, the area of environmental work was because it, it's just the most fascinating, diverse area to work in because it covers politics, it covers science, it covers um psychology it covers behavior um you can work in any industry and look at the environment so i think the the, the complexity and the diversity of the subject for me was what drew me um above and beyond the fact that um it, you know this is the biggest problem that we're facing as humanity and and in terms of the destruction that we're that we're creating um on the planet that I feel was gifted to us to live on, not to ruin. So for me, that's um, that's um, yeah, the, the biggest driver really. But Sir David has done a great job on enabling us all to appreciate the wonders of the planet we live on. Yeah, completely. What about you, James? So I've got I've got hundreds, but you'll be glad to know I'm not going to name them all. <laughs> but it's every, every scientist that's contributed to the IPCC reports the big climate change reports, because it's on their scientific foundations that everything else has rested. And so for me, they are that, that they are the, the work they do is they're, they're real, they are real heroes. And that's also links to why I got into sustainability, because for me, it was very much about the data and the science and the clarity of what they've been saying for many, many years, that this is just the biggest tragedy of the commons that we've ever faced. Um, so what are we going to do about it? So yeah, all, all of them for all the incredible work they do. Yeah, some amazing answers. Thank you both so much for your time and thank you for joining me on the Age of Plastic podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Why do I laugh so much when we are going to hell in a handcart? I just had a lovely time chatting to Joe and James Hand from Geeky. If you want to find out more from Geeky who are hoping to make it easy to live sustainably, then head online to geeky.earth. 
As always, an eco-life hack, and it was mentioned briefly in today's episode. And I do like to try and think about things being open and accessible to all when I think about the eco-life hacks that I talk about on the show. Um, This one is money-based, but it is something to do with the crisis in Pakistan. I have left a link in the show notes if you are able to, uh, to donate to the Pakistan flood relief at the moment, because it is just shocking. Like, can you imagine the country that you're living in and listening to this podcast right now, if like two thirds of it was underwater? Terrifying. As always, if you'd like to get in touch, support the Patreon, follow us on social media. All the links are in the show notes. You can even just send me fan mail if you want. I am contactable via email. You just have to click a link on the social media Instagram. Don't even need an Instagram if you don't want to have an Instagram. It's fine. This has been a really long series, but I think I have another episode for you next week. Yes. And then I think I will be taking a little break, but I'm going to be doing something different in between the series so that you don't miss me too much. More on that on the next episode of the Age of Plastic podcast. Until then, wash your hands, wash recycling, look after yourself and each other. Did I need to stop using Jerry Springer's line? I'll see you next time on the Age of Plastic podcast.